Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is an outstanding prayer in Scripture. Prayers in Scripture are so powerful to help us understand how to pray, uh, how to grow in prayer. This is one of my favorite sections of Ephesians. It brings us to the end of the first part of this book. And I believe that there's some things that we can, that can incredibly encourage us today because of what the Apostle Paul has to say uh, in this scripture and through this prayer. First of all, it's a prayer about God being able to empower us in new ways in our lives. Uh, there are three simple ways to look at how God can empower your life through prayer. Some very simple things of what Paul has to say and how he prays and how it worked in his life. And I want to show you that right in the beginning of this section that will help us and bring a new sense of what it means to be empowered through prayer. Secondly, uh, we will talk about how to develop a confident faith. How do you develop a faith, the kind of faith that Paul and Peter had that was bold and filled with confidence uh, in, through their faith? Uh, we, we look at it and maybe we think, well, how could I develop a faith like that? How can I have uh, that as a part of my life? So we're going to see in this prayer how he prayed and he teaches us three simple things that you and I can do to grow in confidence and faith uh, every day in our relationship with God. So in this section, first of all, uh, he begins this prayer. Uh, this is uh, the second prayer of the book that we've looked at together. The first prayer uh, in chapter 1 was a prayer of enlightenment. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can see the hope that he's called us to and the riches of his calling. Those are the kind of things he wanted to talk to us about in that first prayer. The second prayer here in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 is a prayer for enablement. First, he prays that you can see and second, he prays that you would be. That's really the theme of our book is how do we, who, who, who are we in Christ and how do we live in Christ? And so he says uh, these words, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people so to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. I think it's a prayer that maybe you should uh, consider memorizing. Something you would have in your heart. Uh, it's, it's an encouragement to us. He starts off this prayer uh, where he is talking about, first of all, how, how can he empower us? Uh, so what, what kind of lessons can we learn here about prayer? So three words of advice right away that he gives to us about empowering us. Number one, he says, pray with a reason. Pray with with a reason. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Because God is so available to us, sometimes we sort of just start praying without any reason. Sometimes we find ourselves kind of just speaking words that we have learned or kind of in rote. Have you ever, you ever been around anybody, please don't, don't write me, but um, you ever been around anybody that kind of used the same words over and over again? You know, they just, they kind of got this routine and I'm not knocking that or saying that that's not, uh, it's just unusual sometimes to hear somebody say the same words like 50, 75 times while they're, while they're praying this prayer. Um, you know, I've, I, I've, I've, I had this lady in my life um, when I was a teenager, and she would say, "Granite Jesus, Granite Jesus." I mean, she say, she, and she was a prayer man. I mean, she was a prayer, but she say, "Granite Jesus" like a hundred times, you know, in, in this prayer. And uh, I, I noticed not only did I, you know, as a young person, think that was a little odd, but then I found myself doing it. <laughs> That ever happened to you? Uh, So he's talking about uh, not just praying and kind of going through the motions, but making sure that we are praying um, for with with a reason. That we're we're not just desperate to pray, but we're not just as a last resort, but we're coming to him because we have a reason to pray. I can't handle these things, Lord. I need you in this situation. So he's Paul is reminding us that he had a reason. Now, what what was his reason? Uh, He says, for this reason. Uh, So when you see something like that, it's kind of like seeing the word therefore in the Bible. You know, they always used to say, if the word therefore is there, what is it there for? Um, You know, because it's always either referring back to something or referring ahead to something. So we can think about what is his reason. I think uh, there's multiple uh, possibilities here, but I think he's probably talking about what he just said in verse 13. The last verse we looked at last week was, I pray that you may not lose heart because of my sufferings for Christ. For this reason, I pray. And so he's praying this tremendous prayer as an expression of encouragement to them and to us for us not to lose heart. So what he's really praying for here is a stronger heart in our everyday lives and our everyday faith for this reason, because of your need, because I know that God can meet your need. I want to pray for you. That's pretty good, right? Maybe that's how you would be motivated that somebody's talking to you and you feel in your spirit. Oh, I need, I need to pray for them. 
I need to pray for them. I have this reason. I have this, this sense on me that, that, that I'm not just praying because that's what I do or because I'm a, a pastor or whatever role you, you know, we, we, we sense in God that he's giving us uh, a reason for your encouragement, for the time of need, for an inner interaction of a, a need or a request. So number one, uh, pray with a reason. Number two, pray with an attitude. Pray with an attitude. Now, sometimes I know people think when you say that you're talking about your kids having an attitude or something, you know, whatever. Um, but this, this is not the attitude he's talking about. He's talking about an attitude that God is great. And notice how he says it. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Um, you know, kneeling expresses a posture. Kneeling expresses an attitude uh, toward God. Kneeling really expresses uh, two different things. Number one, uh, kneeling expresses humility. And secondly, kneeling expresses intensity. You know, most of us realize that when you kneel, there's a sense of humility, kneeling before God, because we're looking up to him, recognizing his greatness. Uh, you know, I don't have to kneel to express that to God, but it is a posture that I can take. You know, God gets, I, I, I feel like, a, you know, sometimes I just need to be on my knees. Do you feel that sometimes? Just need to be on our knees before him. Uh, it expresses humility. Secondly, it's a posture that expresses intensity before God. You know, the normal Jewish way of praying in this day was that they would stand with their hands lifted and pray. Jesus probably prayed many times that way. That was their normal way of praying. Some of you have been uh, to the Holy Land. And if you're in the Holy Land and you go to the Wailing Wall, you don't see people kneeling there. You see people standing and praying. It's the normal way then and continues to be now. But Paul says, for this reason, I kneel. He, he's feeling it, right? He's feeling this prayer. Uh, you remember when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night before he would be crucified. And he's talking to God about the cross that is coming the next day. He's deeply sorrowful. And the Bible says he knelt and prayed. That was a significant moment. It's saying it was an intense moment. It also says that he, that he sweat like drops of blood. It was, it was an intense prayer. So kneeling reflects humility and intensity. It's recognizing how great God is, and it's also recognizing how great the issue is that is on your heart. It's an interesting thing about kneeling. You know, one of the ways to break down the book of Ephesians that we've looked at so far is to look at spiritual posture. You know, these first three chapters that we've looked at talks about how we sit at God's right hand in heavenly places. We've been given a position or a posture uh, with Christ. We've all been given these riches that come through Christ Jesus. Later, he's talking about how we walk with Christ, walking with him. And then finally, in chapter 6, he says, stand firm against the devil. So you can see in this book that there's posturing uh, that is going on. Uh, he's talking about the difference between sitting in the heavenlies, walking and standing on earth and standing against the enemy in that place in between is kneeling, kneeling before him. So it's no accident that he starts out this letter. 
He's talking about who we are in Christ. It's no accident that right in the middle, he's talking about this prayer, pouring out our hearts before him. So kneeling expresses this attitude that this is important in my life. And I have humbled myself before the almighty God. Do do you kneel in prayer? Is that something you should think about adding to your prayer life? You know, I know some of you like you pray riding in the car. I do that too. You know, I pray in all these different situations. God is always with us. You know, posture isn't the main connector, but sometimes you might need to get on your knees before him. I think if Jesus needed to kneel and Paul needed to kneel, I certainly need to kneel. How about you? Pray with a reason. Pray with an attitude of kneeling. Number three, pray with a focus. Pray with a focus. What do you focus on when you pray? Uh, A lot of us might answer, well, I'm praying about what's happening in my life, what I need, what what I need to talk to God about. And that's why I'm there in that moment. But Paul reminds us that we need to pray and have a focus, not just on what I need, but a focus on who I'm talking to. Um, Who is he talking to? He mentions here, the focus is on the father. The focus is on uh, the father. I um, did what I many times do when I pray here this morning. The first thing that we did was focus on the father to offer praise to him, uh, expressing even scripture uh, to him in praise. Our focus is on who we're talking to. For this reason, I bow my knees. I kneel before the father, before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth Uh, So what he's literally talking about there is before the father from whom every fatherhood gets his name. Uh, When I read this verse, I think about, first of all, not only focusing on the father, but he's talking to us as fathers. Gentlemen, we are, we are the ones that bring our families to God. We bring them to God by focusing on the father, understanding how to be a father and talking to him. I'm focusing on him in my life. You know, your genealogy, everybody in this room goes back to God, the father. Do you know that? You didn't even have to send that in to one of those places to figure it out. Your DNA goes back to the heavenly father. That's where we all started. That's exactly what he's talking about. Uh, You know, the most important genealogy that we have, if you really want to go back to your roots, is that's where you go back to the Father. That's who says the most about who you are and who I am. I mean, if you go back to other genealogies, you might find some things that you might not even believe about you. Can you believe they were in my family? What about those people? But if you go back to the very beginning, every one of our lives, it's God the Father. And Jesus Christ came so that we could discover him as our Father and live out that with him as our Father. Jesus is the one who came and taught us to call him Father. I I love the little story about this three-year-old boy. His dad was in the English military and they had given this father a promotion and now all the family is there for this promotion ceremony. So this little boy is sitting there and he's listening and so they begin to speak and they say to his father, now this man is going to be high marshal admirable of her majesty's grand fleet. 
And everybody stood and applauded, and the little boy's applauding. And while he's applauding, he leans over to his mother and says, do you think he'll mind if I call him daddy still? God doesn't mind if you call him daddy. When when you look at the Old Testament, almighty God, most holy father, God doesn't mind for us to call him daddy. That's what Jesus taught us. Pray, father, this most intimate term, Abba, father. It expresses a closeness that we have with God. One of the blessings that we have here, and I'm sure she's watching um, today, Cheryl, um, Cheryl, Cheryl's an amazing, she's the only person I ever heard. I mean, I've known her for over 14 years now, and every time she prays, she says, Daddy. You, you recognize that, right? Seen that over and over in her. What a gift that is. Um, and, and she has realized that intimate, close relationship. Thank you, Cheryl, for the example that is. The focus on prayer is not just what I need. God says, tell him everything that we need. But the real focus is on the God who can meet every need in your life. That's what changes everything when you pray. We recognize that we're talking to somebody who can do anything and everything. He's the father who loves you and loves me. Paul sets this all up. He says, I've got something serious. I want to talk to the Father who cares and loves all of us. I want God to bring about this confidence in our Christian faith. So how does God create confidence? How does he help us to understand? How do we develop a confident faith in him? Now, I think about this a lot. I think I'm pretty qualified to talk about this issue. Not because I'm the most confident person in the world, but because this is the kind of stuff I talk about all the time. This is something that God has had to help develop in my life. As my life unfolded, I did not grow up in a minister's house. Um, I did not grow up being the life of the party. And I never thought that I would spend my life speaking to people in, uh, in this way on week after week after week for 34 years. But you know what happened? What happened is that God did something in my heart. He began to help that confidence to grow in me. Just this week, I noticed somebody said, and they told me a situation that had happened. And they say, you know why that happened? Church on Sunday. Something happened in church and it transformed what was happening. Somebody else said, they came in last week uh, in between the 9 and the 10.30. So they're coming in at 10.30. And they said, my friend just watched the 9 o'clock live stream and ended up on their knees praying and trusting God. Then she said, make sure you do it again. You know, no pressure. <laughs> so as believers... We realize that God is in the business of creating confidence in us through our faith. Um, I've had to learn that, that it's not through circumstances or uh, not through my past. I mean, some of you had great living arrangements with uh, parents or those that raised you and helped to kind of create uh, that confidence. But it's not confidence in those people. It has to be Christ's confidence in us. So we've learned in Christ that there's a new confidence that can be found. And it's not 
self-help. It's not built on circumstances. It's not built on the praise of men and women. It's built on something entirely different. It's one of my reasons that this is my favorite prayer of Paul's. Three different truths here. So here's number one. How do you develop a confident faith? One, confidence comes from the inside out. From the inside out. Confidence you can see it talked about here, verse 16 and 17. I pray that out of his glorious riches, you see that his right there? It's not talking about yours, not talking about your inheritance. He's talking about his glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through, see it again, his spirit in your inner being. Two different his and one he referring definitely to this father who is going to strengthen us in our inner being. So you take his power, his riches. He is the vehicle that is going to translate this into our life. You know, when you read this, uh, it comes out of his glorious riches, out of his riches, through his spirit into your inner being. Do you understand what, what Paul is talking about here? He's talking about God working within us. There's a little process that's going on. And it's interesting that he says it happens in your inner being. Do you know you had an inner being? not some alien being or something weird. There's an inside, inside of you. What is your inner being? Well, it's, it's your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions, it's where you feel, it's where you think, it's where you decide, it's emotions, mind, and will, it's your spirit, it's where you relate to God. It's also where you can relate to Satan if you choose to. That's the inside part of you where all that is going on in your life is not just in your intellect. Your inner being is more than just your mind and your thinking. There's more to it. Sometimes we might call it soul, but it's bigger than what people talk about related to soul. God has put his spirit in your inner being to be able to enable and empower us to be his people, to be the kind of people that he wants us to be. I mean, if you're going to develop real confidence confidence in your life, you have to understand that the confidence comes from the inside and flows out. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is try to build, um, you know, if you're struggling, if you're facing difficulties, a lot of times we try to build from the outside in, don't we? From the outside in. What that means is, okay, you're in a crisis at work, you're struggling, maybe things aren't going well. So you're trying to figure out how can I improve my work? How can I improve my sales? How can I build up enough numbers or how can I do better than some of those other people so that I look a little better to my employees? What that means is that you're trying to build confidence from the outside in. We start to compare ourselves to other people and we get a little bit ahead of ourselves and we invite praise from others around us. You know, praise from other people can get like a drug. You can try to build your confidence on what other people are saying about you. What Paul is talking about here is gain your confidence from what God says about you in your inner being. You feel the difference in that? The contrast. So he's talking about his glorious riches through my spirit that I put into your life in your inner being. Now, he's not talking about, uh, I'll use the phrase humanism. 
Humanism is the idea that I look within myself and that's, that, that that's where I'm going to find my strength in, within myself. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're saying allow God to come into your life through his spirit in your inner being to build that confidence that only he can build in your life. Would somebody say amen? I just, maybe a little, little help with me here. Um, we're saying that God is present within us and is affecting our inner being. Here, here uh, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, let him who has ears, let him hear. He wasn't talking about these. He was talking about your inner being. He talked about being able to see with your, not just with your physical eyes, but to see in your spirit. The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's talking about an inner spirit. Uh, the Bible talks about inner spirit that has to be uh, exercised, has to be uh, used. It's something that has to be kept clean. The inner being needs a shower. The inner being has to be fed, fed by the word of God. So when you take good care of the inner being that God has given us, it develops confidence in our faith in God. But if you don't feed it much, if you let it get all dirty sometimes, if you don't exercise it and express your face, you can have a very limited inner being. It's sort of like sitting up there and just kind of blah, blah, blah. Confidence, trusting in him. Then the result in this scripture is, the Bible says that when we depend on God like that, the result is Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. Woo! That's confidence right there. Do you know this, this thought about uh, inviting Christ into your heart uh, comes right out of this passage right here. That Christ, the result might be that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. That's confidence. I think to, to recognize that Jesus who walked in this world, Jesus who walked on water, who fed 5,000, Jesus who lived among us is now living in you and living in me. That's confidence. That's that inner confidence that he builds in us. Now, I had a question about the scripture. And the, scripture, the question was that Paul is writing to believers primarily about the Holy Spirit and about Jesus dwelling in them. And so he says, I pray that you'll recognize God's riches and through his spirit, develop the kind of confidence in your inner being so that Christ can dwell in your hearts. Well, if they were Christians, didn't Christ already dwell in their hearts? You know, he's talking to Christians and he's talking to, there's this word dwelling there, dwelling in your heart. And it's, it's quite a different word. The Greek word there is made up of two different words. One means down and the other means home. So I thought this is kind of good down home preaching, you know, or good down home cooking. You know, you, you know, you know what that is? I, I'm from the South, so I definitely know what that is. Um, so it's Jesus Christ. We welcome into our life. We feel comfortable as a, him part of our life. Uh, there's, there's this little book. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a little, kind of a little pamphlet, and it's called My Heart, Christ's Home. My Heart, Christ's Home. And what this little book, everybody should read this. Uh, I, I printed it on there. Um, actually, there's about 80 of these laying on the Welcome Center. Um, now, let me tell you about it first and see if, you, if I can whet your interest a little bit. This little book describes how Christ 
would, be, would come into your home. So it talks about uh, Christ being in the study or the library of your house, in the dining room. Does, does he like the food you're eating? And he's not talking about your cooking. He's talking about all that you're feeding your life with. Um, he, he talks about the, uh, the, oh, the living room. Oh, it's one of my favorites. In the living room, he describes how he's coming down the stairs, getting ready to go to work one day, and he notices that Jesus is sitting in the living room. And he comes back and he says, what are you doing here? And he asked the question, are you here every morning? He said, yep, just waiting on you. And it talks about your time. Um, he talks about the rec room, the bedroom. Oh, I wanna, he talks about the hall closet. You know, everybody's got the hall closet, right? And they got some stuff and Jesus says to him, you know, I think something died in here. And I think it's coming out of that closet right there. Um, so this is such a good idea. But see, what the, the whole idea here is the contrast between somebody kind of staying at your house compared to dwelling at your house. You ever have anybody stay at your house? You know what? You don't want them dragging their stuff all over your living room. You know, keep it in that room. You know, are you going to give them the remote? Mm-mm. No, no, you're going to pick the channel. You're going to pick the shows you watch. Um, you know, you, know you, you, you might get them some food or whatever, but you, know, you haven't given them total access. They're just staying there for a, a, a short time. But when somebody comes to dwell in your house, it's totally different, right? They can have access to every room. They can come anywhere in there. Uh, they, can, they can have access to your remote and your kitchen table and your refrigerator because they are dwelling there. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the difference between Christ staying at your house, your heart, and dwelling in your heart. Well, that's good. You know, I think that's kind of good sanctification preaching right there. Not only have you welcomed Christ into your heart, but you've given your whole life to him. So there's, uh, there's some of these out there. If you want to grab one, grab one for your family or for a couple, and, uh, but read it, right? Read it and then pass it on to somebody else because this will help them. This is a great little devotional idea talking about exactly what we're talking about uh, today. So um, number one was confidence comes from the inside out in our inner being. Secondly, confidence comes from grasping how much God loves me grasping how much God loves me. Now it comes from this idea of grasping is the idea of getting a hold of something, getting a hold of understanding how much God loves you. The more confident you are, the more you're going to in your life and in your faith is going to grow. So this love of God is so great that we're going to spend the rest of our lives learning more and more about it. He's saying, I pray that you can grasp this. It's so big. It's so huge. It's sort of like um, just recognizing this overwhelming love that he has given and shown uh, to us. And so he's given us some practical ideas about it. He talks about being rooted and established in love, that we may have the power together with God's people to be able to recognize it. So he's saying, here's my advice. I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. What is he talking about? He's talking about measuring God's love. I know it's bigger than I can even imagine. And he says, but I want you to try. You're going to spend your life trying to see how great God's love is, how practical it is uh, for every one of us. Stand up. 
Stand up for a moment. So we talked about posture. Here's, here's a little posture. All right, we're going to try to try to feel how great the love of God is. All right, so don't don't pop anybody next to you. But our first step is how wide. You feel that? How wide is the love of God? How long? Let's stretch ourselves out. Like reach out to it. So as far as you can reach this way, as far as you can reach forward, how high, how high is the love of God? Anybody getting blessed right now? How high is the love of God? And even how deep is the love of God? Wherever you've been, how deep is his love. You can sit down. All right. That helps us understand and to feel the, the depth of his love uh, for us. He wants you to be rooted and established in love, grasp how wide and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to be filled with God, have confident faith. He ends with these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in the Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is able. God is able. Some, sometimes I think you should realize that God is able. I'm available. God is able, I'm available. Sometimes I've noticed that we get that turned around. I am able, God, are you available? That's not what it says. God is able, I am available. So today, that's what we're telling him. We're reaching out to him to hear his voice, to openly express glory to God and doing that through communion this morning. So I'd love for you to uh, get ready to take communion. If you're at home, uh, you have a moment, maybe to have your juice or some crackers. Uh, for you, it's, it's put right in front of you. See, this is such a practical word for us today. Focus on how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. One of the best ways to focus on that is to focus on the greatness of God through the cross. It puts everything in perspective. You see those places wide and high and deep and long. The Lord's Supper is a way that Jesus wanted us to picture the cross. He didn't ever want us to forget. He wanted us to be very careful to have in our minds, in our souls, in our inner being, the cross of Christ. And so he says, do this in remembrance of me. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you to think about his love for you. The songwriter tried to figure this out and picture it for us. He said, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? 
to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. God. That's his love for you. I invite you to open your communion this morning to reveal the bread and the juice. Communion offers us a special opportunity to remember the sacrifices of Jesus at the time of his passion and death on a cross, as well as to reflect on his example of love and mercy, which he gave us throughout his life and his ministry on the earth. As we think about taking communion this morning, recognize, why do we do this? We remember so that we can follow in the footsteps of the master. A path that we recognize requires much commitment and development. We come together at this table because we welcome Christ into our heart, into our soul. A path that needs to be refreshed in our hearts and minds as we gather and worship. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit and it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. Communion is our belief that he is indwelling us. It impacts our thinking, our appreciation of what Christ has done for us. We also celebrate what is possible in our souls to achieve by the grace of God to make us spiritual men and women and to lead us to heaven. So let's share in the bread and in the juice. As we eat the bread, remember that we are called to be the bread of God, the bread of life, mercy everywhere that we go as we represent him. So let's eat together in Jesus' name. And we drink juice that says, remember the new covenant of God's grace, which brings us empowerment to change so that we can see and be the people of God, which he has made us. And that his spirit will dwell in our hearts through faith. That's our calling. That's our purpose for our souls. Let's drink together in his name. Maybe your response is today. Your responses could be that you are giving your life to Christ. Today, if you're not a Christian, I'd invite you to put your trust in him. But if you are a Christian, 
Would you make sure that he is dwelling in every part of your life? Do you don't have any hidden places? But he's not just staying there. He's not just visiting you on Sunday. He is dwelling in your heart through faith. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this incredible scripture. Thank you for all the little ways that you teach us about prayer, how we are empowered, and how we are amazed by the love of God in Christ. Lord, be with us now as we go from this place. Empower us and give us confidence in our faith in Christ. Help us to think about this passage of scripture and be so moved and transformed uh, by it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.